0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Works in Process Live. As I get ready for the 2021 AIGA Design and Business Conference in May, I chat with conference speakers and learn more about them and their creative approaches. So I hope you enjoy this mini bonus episode. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to a live version of the Works and Process podcast. I'm designer and educator George Um, These live shows are a part of a conference speaker series to get to know some of the people who are presenting at this year's AIGA Design and Business Conference. On the show today, though, is Katu and Nico Pertolano, the creative directors and brand architects creating worlds of awe and wonder at the creative agency Resonate. Welcome to Works and Process live, y'all. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much.
1: Yay. You make it. Yay. So this good. is oh, so great. such a
0: great intro. That's so professional. <laughs> That's awesome. I try. I try <laughs> once in a while, maybe once a week, I'd be professional. <laughs> so um, before we get into our conversation, I always start my podcast with something fun. It's a rapid Q&A session, and I want you both to answer these. You ready? Okay. Go. All right. So it first is a series of this or that questions. Coffee or tea? Ooh. Coffee. Oh, currently tea. Oh paper or digital? Paper. Ooh, paper. Both paper?
2: Yeah. Yes.
0: Um animation or film? Ooh, film.
1: <laughs> film. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. And then this one is a little longer, but is it where you're from or is it where you're at? Ooh. Ooh. From. Same from. Oh, okay. <laughs> So and now this one, it's a little longer. It's a word association, right? So what's the first thing you think of when you hear these words? And let's alternate it, right? So we'll start with Katu first and then we'll do with Nico, right? Um, But you only get to answer one. So then we'll just switch to the next word after. Um, Determination. Oh,
1: angst. Failure. Win. Community. Friends.
0: Education. Smart. (laughs) Mistakes.
1: Opportunities.
0: History. Knowledge. Accessibility. Community. Future. Past. Both of you, last but not least. Process.
1: It's a journey. Journey.
2: Oh, do I answer that one
0: or no? Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, that sorry. right.
0: Imp- important. Cool. Um, so I just like doing this. because I'd love to hear what people come up with and, you know, kind of see how, how the brain starts to turn and, and stuff like that. So um, now I want to get a little bit to learn. I guess I want to learn a little bit more about both of you and your introductions in tartan and design. Um, So as we mentioned, and we talked about it, we didn't mean, you know, as we talked about earlier in previous conversations and emails, um, you both were born in the Philippines, right? That's correct. So when did you come to the United States and what was the earliest memory you have about getting into art and design?
2: Ooh, um, okay, so sure. I I moved here when I was eight years old. Um, And I think in terms of art and design, it's so hard because I think it, it's always been a part of me. Um, I grew up in the Philippines, like anime was a big thing. Ever I mean, we didn't really make our own cartoons a lot. A lot of the cartoons were imported. So you gre- we grew up watching uh, animation from the US and from Japan. So when I came here, um, I met when I was like around I 11, I met other people who were, got into anime back in like, I don't know, 84 or whatnot. So a little club here in New York City. And that, that really spurred this whole idea of art and design for me at that point.
0: who?
1: I was a fully formed fetus at the age of 30 when I moved to New York City, um, so I was pretty old. Um, my earliest memories of art and design would probably going to the University of the Philippines. It's uh, one of the biggest schools in the Philippines, and it's right by 15 minutes away from where I lived. And my mom would always drive us around the campus, and it had beautiful, brutalist architecture. Um, and they would have arches that were shaped like swords. And for me, architecture was one of my first entries into design and art.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Ar- architecture, nice. I like it. I mean, kind of the same thing where you're walking around the streets of New York and you know, you're in the subways and you're in the trains, and obviously Empire State Building, and back then, you know, the World Trade Center, right? It's just kind of like this larger than life thing. So that's cool. So <clears throat> moving on from there, right? What do you think had a bigger impact on your creative aesthetic, your education or your culture? Uh,
1: These questions are so great. This is great. I think,
2: honestly, for me, I think it was both. I I never really thought of my, um, you know, moving here, I think being uprooted. um, I I I kind of, I moved here when I was really young. So the concept of the culture wasn't really part of it being eight years old. So when I got here, Uh, that wasn't really a big part of it Uh, but when i got into high school that's kind of where things started to kind of click in both in terms of education and culture Um, that's where i started to really realize my culture or questioning it and at the same time all these other knowledge started to come in so i think for me was kind of like a both happening at the same time
1: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I think for me I graduated with from a technically what is a Jesuit business school with no degree in design <laughs> with visual communications so everything I known from design came from just like me learning about it, like just being hungry with it. So I think a lot of what led me to this career was the culture. So I've always been obsessed with everything from MTV, to like music, to making music, to like uh, making posters. Um, You know, as a kid, that's what I did. So I felt that culture was definitely the thing that shaped my experience. Um, But the thing I got from my education, though, is I had a lot of like theology classes and history classes. And I think that gave me structure to how I approach the way I think, but the culture is what fills it. So it's mm-hmm. definitely an interplay between both.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so, because I think you answered them similarly, but yet differently. Um, and we're talking about language eventually. Um, but when what was the first time, or when was the first time, did you consider yourself a creative?
2: Oh, that's that's so interesting because in high school, I had that long conversation with a friend of mine and he was, you know, he, I thought he was a really good artist and I would call him, oh, you're a great artist. And he says, no, I can't call myself an artist. Other people do that for you. And, now, and that totally changed my whole perspective on, on when people ask me that question. So, um, so I think um, for me, it's when, you know, when there are, when we got some recognition, whether it's like through an award or getting something, um, you know, some other people recognizing your work, asking you to do a presentation. I think that's when it it kind of hit it for me. Um, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just doing it on your own and stuff like that, which I felt before oh, I'm an artist, I knew how to draw. Um, and then hearing that from my friend, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> You're wiser.
0: Well, he was also four years older, so, you know, he's like, you know, a lot more than I do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I, I think for me, it's it's always been intentional, even ever since I was a kid that I would be, do something with my life, whether it's going to be I actually thought about maybe I'll become a lawyer or study theology. I was raised Catholic, Um, but I think ever since I was a kid, I knew I would do something in art. So it was very intentional. But, you know, when you're eight years old, I don't know, in 1994, like that wasn't a thing. But I thought, but I've always called myself an artist. No one had to call me that. And like Nico, ever (laughs) since I was young, I knew this is what I was going to do somewhere with the intention, Mm -hmm. somewhere in this industry. I don't know exactly what. Um, So, yeah, I think ever since I was a kid.
0: I think that's really, I think on both counts, I think you're, you're, you know, one Katu is, is, is not letting anybody tell her that she isn't creative, but Nico understanding that maybe it's something that somebody else bestows on you. And I don't think there's a right answer, but what I think I, I, I tend to, for me, I think the idea of a creative is, you know, maybe self-reflective when you like, when you said, you know, oh, when we got acknowledged, Right, where it's no longer you just doing your own stuff all the time, it's actually somebody else giving you credit, giving you kudos, props, all of that stuff, right? Or or even when you're in high school and somebody goes, yo, that's pretty dope.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're like,
0: oh, so somebody else thinks that's yeah. cool. Right. Yeah. Besides just me. Right. <laughs> because your parents are our parents are not going to tell us stuff is oh. cool because they don't even get it. Right. <laughs> they, they never understood it. <laughs> right. And 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 I want to go back to that when when we both answered the culture question. Right. I think, Nico, what I was hearing is culture, maybe like who you are ethnically. And what I heard, um, Kat, you know, Katsu like mentioned culturally, like the culture that you grew up in. Right. So that was where I kind of pulled that where you're from versus where you're at. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Because
0: I think Nico was talking about who I am as a Filipino and maybe, you know, growing up as that. And 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 Katu was talking about, well, I'm from New York or I live here and the culture or hip hop or all of this stuff that just kind of informs my creative decision making. Two totally different things, though. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting to to hear, you know, that and, and and start to think about, you know, the idea of language and culture and how we both, even in this, literally, you're probably in the same room, how you're both looking, <laughs> thinking about it, totally different, you know, and that goes to just the idea of just how nuanced some of these words and terminology is, right? And so thank you for giving us like that nice little glimpse of of a little bit of, of you know, where you grew up and kind of how you're starting to to understand language and also understand it very differently right so we're going to be hearing about you at the conference and you're going to be talking about the project the history of the lgbt movement that you did with aarp and next day better right but when we had our introductory conversation there were so many other things that we were talking about right so i want to obviously leave the collaboration with you know about that movement you know on its own because that's going to be such a great conversation that we have during the conference but you know one of the things that we 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 talked about is the idea of, of, you know, when you did that project and it was a mission to understand differences, you know, within a community and, and you had to share kind of those differences and learn those differences within yourselves and with the client. Right. And so with that, right, here's a two-part question. I'm going to start you off big. Right. <laughs> so, um, as a studio that tells purposeful stories, you know, what shift have you noticed in discussing the use of proper language and, t- and terminology, when discussing marginalized groups and cultures with clients, but also what challenges have you found within yourselves?
2: All right. I think that's a, I think it's got like two questions to oh. answer first. Of oh, it's course. like a
0: 19 part question, but <laughs> yeah. like, let's start with just two.
1: Oh my goodness. I think after 2020, I think the first thing that comes into my head, and everyone also is using this language, but the word is empathy. I think it's really easy to judge, number one, yourself for not having the language as it evolves. And I think one of the things that I understand, I try to understand, I try to forgive myself is language is not a shelf-stable product. It is evolving. It is alive. So what you used two years ago could not apply tomorrow. And the language that is apt and woke right now will not apply six months from now. So there is that empathy for the limits to your knowledge. So first, I apply that to myself and try to be forgiving with myself first. Second is always understand where the client is coming from. And at the end of the day, I always think that the client is building a bridge. They're building a relationship with the community and they're limited in what they can see. So at least on our end, is also applying empathy on their end and guiding them, but never judging someone who doesn't. It's like judging someone who's saying, I am ignorant. I want to change, but I don't necessarily have the language or the tools to approach the subject, especially if they're not coming from that community. So it always has to do with the fact that you're aware that this is a shift. You're in a boat that's moving and you can't stabilize yourself fast enough and just helping each other out and keeping yourselves informed um that's that's my take on it nico
2: yeah i just want to add the you know when our approach to language since kato and i are also bilingual uh we realize that language connects so deeply with your culture and as discussed earlier culture can mean either the definition of who i am or where i'm from and when you think about lgbtq and if you think about just different marginalized people or even like small little pockets of let's say people who are into hip-hop or skaters that's a certain culture and they have a certain language and to be able to to connect with them you would need to understand how they speak their language whether it's body language whether it's visibility in what they wear or of course the things that they say and for us you know not all of us are in those little knit pockets of those cultures but to be able to connect we need to learn and I think that's one of the things that we also had to do was learn the new languages, because as Katu was saying, in time, things change within that little pocket of culture in terms of how they speak, the words that they use, the definitions of certain words have changed. Mm-hmm. So we also had to learn as we were even doing that project too, uh, what are the new updated terms? Is that this word used to mean the same thing as it did a long time ago. So it was a good learning experience for us as well. and And we're realizing, that's also best way to be able to understand other people, other cultures and people in different economic backgrounds, because everyone speaks in a different way. But sometimes you realize they're saying all the same thing, but we need to be able to have a little empathy and be able to listen to be able to understand. So that's something mm-hmm. that we realized,
0: you know, especially in doing that project. So you mentioned obviously being bilingual, you mentioned obviously the differences of, of types of culture um, and obviously we're hearing that that plays a role right and you know it's it's funny that sometimes when i write some of my questions my my guests kind of roll right into the next one so i don't know if they're good or i'm going to pat myself on the back and i'm good i know how to like get to the next question you but but you you you're both basically talking about you know your own personal identities and how that factors into the you know one how you talk to clients but also the type of work you take on do you think that plays a heavily role in the type of work that you you work on and the way that you're able to bring up maybe these subjects that other people who don't come from the same types of culture can bring up these subjects to clients well i i think i
2: don't know about you but i think also personally since you know um more or less i think english would be our second first language, I guess, because we kind of grew up with it. But still, we're not really native from U.S. So we're very conscious of how we speak to people and how we're yeah. saying things. So, and we're very conscious of hearing what they're saying. And it, you know, the brain's kind of thinking of like, what are they saying in between the lines and things like that? So I think that plays a role in terms of us being more responsive or like really listening and trying mm-hmm. to understand versus just, you know, textbook what this word means. Uh, just because we're not in we were uprooted and put it into like a different culture different country
1: I think right. also to add to that as a creative as kids who were I relate really well to people who are on the um on the outs who aren't the popular kids so i relate a lot to people who are the, who call themselves the outsiders um and that's what you are when you are a person of color or you identify as part of a minority is that you are an outsider it gives you a really it's both like a process of othering but it's also really a you have a superpower to be a little bit more objective about things so when we approach clients we're always i feel like I don't know about you, Nico, but I always am super aware of my otherness sometimes.
2: Yes, you are. <laughs> but
1: I am. I'm very conscious of the way I speak. I'm very conscious of my accent. I'm very conscious of my references because I don't come from the same places as our clients do, but that's also my superpower. So it's almost like learning the confidence. It's, it's a continuous process of the confidence as a person who does not manifest in the mainstream. Um, to take strength from that um, I think and that's I think that I really wrestle with that as a creative which means I don't have the answer for it but it's a continuous struggle
2: but the opportunity there also is that since we're unsure we tend to ask more questions and and that invokes the idea of okay what are they really looking for versus the assumption oh I I know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. already And i think because Mm -hmm. that we we tend to ask more questions and we tend to go into the why questions um even even with some other clients that's not necessarily like you know um socially active um kind of stuff just like a general ad or whatnot there's always a question of why versus okay we want these pretty stuff happening you want to be cool i'm like okay then but why what is the purpose what's the end point what's the end goal of this thing you and wanna that,
1: scratch into the universality of it, Nico, right? So that yeah. you feel more connected regardless of where you come from or what you look like.
0: Yeah, I think Ooh, want, scratch yeah. to the universality. That's yeah. just like a that's like a nice drop right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that that really helps us in that, in in asking all those questions. Um and it, funny enough, there's times we get to use like tangents about our actual clients versus the actual project itself, because it, you, you tend to understand more about them and yeah. then you understand more about why they're doing a certain project. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Every client at the end of the day is just a person in need of something, just like you as a person in need of something. And it's not necessarily the AE file or the <laughs> Illustrator file, as we all know that there is something to be shared with them. Sharing their burden, being listened to, getting that respect, being excited about the project that they felt like they were in this thing for two years. Yeah, it's always that, and I felt like that's always what connected us to either the people we work for or our colleagues. So there's mm-hmm. always a universality to it that is really nice to scratch.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, and I think Katsu, you 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 mentioned something, right? Like you're always aware of your otherness, you know. Yes. And do you think that's a personal observation or that has been put upon you to become aware of your otherness?
1: That's a really good question Um, because I was a fully formed fetus when I came and started to work in America. Um, I am so conscious of not fitting in immediately. Um, But at the same time, I guess I'm really lucky I'm in an industry where there is a community of people who appreciate um, I'm I'm just so lucky I'm in New York City where my diversity is celebrated. Um, uh, but I, I I'll say I am always afraid that I'm not good enough, um, mm-hmm. and that comes from displacement. That comes from just being different. <laughs> I
0: mean, I think I, I would say me too, right? I think we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome where we're yeah. we're always realizing like you know, why am I doing this? Am I good enough to do this? Why yeah. is somebody asking my opinion? Am I? Yeah. Are you sure you're asking the right person? Shouldn't you no. be contacting that other guy no. or, or woman? Or, <laughs> you know, I think they have a better understanding, right? But you always kind of have that feeling oh, yes. of, yeah. you know, so I, you know, I, I think that's, I think it's a great creative quality to almost doubt yourself a little bit, because mm-hmm. that makes you want to try harder. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. because you know that that you're putting this pressure, but of course then you put pressure on yourself, and nothing is ever good enough, oh, right so it's yeah. like that catch twenty two <laughs> um but I, I really wanted to make sure that maybe you know because you're what I'm hearing is that you're noticing your otherness, and I was wondering if people put that upon you or you, or you were kind of just being like, I know I'm different, and I have to be better, be different, be more significant, or did somebody you know, unfortunately in your life kind of let you know that, Hey, you know, like this is, you are the outsider.
1: I think I'm just on the defense. Like no one really tells it to me, but I've experienced, um, what do you call it? The, the, um, the kind of racism that's not in your face. Um, I'm sorry. I've lost the, I've lost the words for it, but it's like
0: microaggressions or yeah,
1: I've experienced microaggressions. So, um, I, I tend to become overly defensive of it. Um, just because of the shared experience of my communities. Um, but yeah, it's mostly an internal pressure for myself. Uh, Nico, do you feel the same way? I'm sorry. I, also,
2: I think it's a great question. I'm also thinking about it. I, I think, I mean, I think there are times I feel like you put it upon yourself when you don't need to. And then, yeah. you know, uh, especially when we've already had a rapport with someone, for example, or with certain clients, but, but there are time, I think slowly it's disappearing. Um, but definitely I can think in the beginning there's a little bit of that uh you know the consciousness of like stepping in, being able to actually talk to these, you know, these oh, yeah. clients the I first did time. Nico, you talk to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she would always she would always push me Your up. Front. English
1: is so much better than mine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing she would say. Yeah, you know, you're Nico will talk because, you know, his English is better. Yeah. Like that's that's always been kind of in there. But slowly, yeah. you know, I'm I'm trying to push her out more uh to be to be able to talk more. So yeah. it, it's been good. It's been it's been a practice, you know.
0: Yeah. So, since you were a fully formed fetus when you came to the U.S., <laughs> do you think you were like that then too? Because obviously, over there, you wouldn't be other. But is that that same apprehension of being not good enough?
1: I think the not good enough is honestly something that drives a lot of artists, um, you know, or creatives to achieve certain goals in their thing in their lives. But I think just because I'm a nerd at heart and I study history, even if there's no quiz, um, I knew there'd be challenges for me as a woman, as a person of color coming into the United States. Um, I would be shedding off the connections that I've had, I'd be shedding off being the, you know, when you come from, I came from the Philippines, I was the majority there, I was you know um being a woman in the philippines is not a bad deal like we've had female presidents etc we've had female ceos that's like that's not a big deal there so i you know i'm the dominant race there coming mm-hmm. in here i know my history with this country my relationship you know just that shared thing so i came in here with more fear but also with that fear is that hope and optimism um, because this country affords a lot of amazing things to people who want who want to move here, um, it's life changing. So mm-hmm. I guess it was more of a fear response than it is a love response.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a that's a such a valid and important distinction, right? Coming from one place where you're the dominant, you know, in in some culture, and coming to yep. a place where where you're not, and and yeah. you know, I think it just kind of allows you to look at things differently, allows you to understand that you're walking into a situation where you have to approach it from a different angle. Um, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just kind of unfortunately is the current situation of things that hopefully as more people, you know, start to see, you know, more diversity in 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 their lives, you know, we don't have to start to 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 force this upon people or kind of continue to, to be like, this is the only approach towards it. Um, so I understand those things and I want to, I guess, get into this idea of, you know, representation, this idea of obviously, like you're saying here, you know, not being the dominant culture. How often did you both see yourself in the work you produce or the work that is produced out in the world?
2: that's interesting you know i'll tell you this much i did see a shift you know i mean i've been working um in like the vfx design motion design industry for like since 2003 i think and i just remember you know when we make designs everything basically was like generally all our characters were were white That's just you know it wasn't even a question when you would design these things Mm -hmm. that's just kind of how it was done um and just in the past i would say maybe three years we're seeing shifts but yeah. but we definitely saw the like a like acceleration of it during the yeah. pandemic um where when we talk to clients you know by default it's like let's have diversity make sure not everyone is white make sure there's a little bit of brown there's you know and but then now the question is like okay how much now there's this now it's a different conversation but better than before where there was nothing it was just like by default even i by default would just these were the characters that we would be making but now it's now it's different now there's this conscious decision of like having variations you know it's not necessarily either blue-eyed white blonde or even you know light brown hair now it's like darker skins
1: yeah bodies uh, also are changing
2: and, and body shapes as well shapes, it was, it was yeah. another big thing and also um disability you know, disability also- we had one project and they they talked about you know being diverse. And then we, we asked them, well, how about people with wheelchairs? You know, or is it okay if we, we drew a character that had one of your characters was in a wheelchair and mm. they were like, we didn't even think about that. Yeah. So, right. so it, it's great to see that, you know, but again, this all really, like it just got accelerated uh, in 2020, but it's great having these conversations with clients. And again, but now we have to learn a new language for each of these different communities when they're represented. Yeah. Because it's very specific on how you, you present them. And I know we were also doing another project where it was a specific person. And we were very conscious of like, you know, we interviewed her. It was animation, but we were representing her in an illustrated way. But we wanted to talk to her and really understand how she wanted to be represented. Mm-hmm. So even that conversation was yeah. also something new. Where I think before you just kind of like, oh, you don't, you don't even have to talk to them or ask deeper yeah. questions. You just saw their
0: picture and you just kind of copied. Yeah. Right. Right. So, are the, so it seems like clients are coming to you with a diversity ask, or are you kind of kind of kicking it back to them and and letting them know, like, hey, I'm noticing that you know maybe all your characters are one way. Do you don't you think that we need to you kind of you know change this up a bit? Or they're coming to you specifically and going, let us know how we can diversify our offering.
2: I think in the beginning it was really us opening up that conversation and then since we've been having more projects that kind of had that look, um, then they would, I think with our first conversations, I think that then they would kind of come in and say, Hey, we noticed that this, and then they would even mention the diversities themselves versus us.
1: So we are noticing
2: that shift as well.
1: I think now also I'm more emboldened when I'm working on a project. Okay. Let's just make her like mixed race. Let's not make her size zero. Let's make her size eight. Let's make her representative of, I go now I find myself being more confident putting it first for them before asking their direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I, we can always tweak it. And when they tweak it, then I feel like we're sending a message to our clients that what, what do you see your, your clients, uh, sorry, your customers, what, what, what kind of, who are the people that you want to build this relationship with? Mm -hmm. So it, Even if we're coming up with these diversity, with with more inclusive characters or more inclusive um, cultural um, references, it really becomes reflexive or reflective for the client to consider it. So it's nice to work within that tension.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that your first inclination is to give them that option right, not to kind of adhere to their own version or their own idea of what it should be. You're automatically putting it in their face. It's gonna be maybe, you know, a different color or different this, a different body shape, you know, because you're pushing the idea, regardless of almost the project, that this is what the reality of what people look like versus your limited viewpoint. And of course, you know, they may have an idea, but you're, you're at least starting off with, Let's have this conversation off from the beginning
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah it's interesting
2: to see too um it's very different let's say for if, if uh the agency or the client we're talking to let's say it's, it's all men mm-hmm. it's <laughs> it's 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 automatic they default going back but we've also been working with either companies that have you know males and females in, in the group and it's interesting when when they see our initial designs you know at first that they they would love it but then of course they have to go back into their client but but they liked it so much because there is diversity and there's different body shapes that they now becomes their conversation with their client right so it is interesting when when you start off with it versus what we used to do before it's like so what's your direction right that's how we used to do it before I yeah. you know, it before you it's just like sure and then we just casting and, notes yeah, yeah it's like they're casting notes and then now we're coming up with our own because usually they're saying you know it's it's your designs, you know, come up with something and you should be due to start that conversation. As mentioned, it's always easy to have samples and references uh, to have that conversation as opposed to just kind of talking about it. So,
0: yeah, no, that's it. That seems great. It seems like, you know, because I think I, I always I always struggle a little bit with the fact that that it always tends to be, you know, agencies of color, people of color who tend to be the ones who put that idea out there first. Yes. Right. And you know, I'm hoping one day, you know, soon that that clients, even, you know, clients that maybe are are all men are not defaulting, right? I think yes. the worst thing you can do is default. And, yes. you know, I think we need to challenge ourselves to think about, you know, the education structure and how we've grown up to be like, this is a certain way, right? Or the patriarchal structure, or like these, all these things that we kind of take For granted, and we just do, right? Nico was mentioning even when he would default sometimes to be like, these are just white characters because that's what you do, right? But it also seems like we, as as people and designers of color, are the ones who have to buck the system, right? And I'm hoping sometime soon that eventually those people, you know, because I think, you know, we all want to work with all the types of clients, right? But we also don't want to work with the clients who always just default back to. You know, this as the yeah. dominant culture and because they don't, you don't see growth with them. I think that's the main thing. It's yeah. like, you don't see them growing. So why do I want to work with a company that is not willing to grow? Right. Yeah. And the, they're able to shift, you know, even partner. And I think that you're also both talking about partner and having these conversations. About how do we represent you in a more modern way? day approach versus these antiquated models. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Why, why are you thinking it's the 1950s and we need to be <laughs> thinking about, you know, things like that. And yeah. so I it, it's, I want to hear and I want people to kind of, I guess, you know, one, be, be willing to challenge their clients, you know, with this. And I mean, challenge in a way that you're like, this is the representation of actually what your customer base is actually like
2: right exactly it's it's coming from us who are you know it's really funny when it's coming from us you know who are let's say if we're representing whether it's uh black or brown and then they say that's wrong it it feels weird because <laughs> it, it has happened they're like oh, it's a little you know I'm like oh, okay I think there's there's one cartoon I like okay, we, but it's we get also it <laughs>
1: For example, for body inclusivity, body shapes and sizes, yeah. right? Like, we just can't represent zeros to twos. Like, you're Im- excluding this whole plethora of people. So, it's also, I think, not only does it make your design more beautiful and different, but you're also making a case for the business. Um, there is a solution to something about being seen and more inclusive, M- means, at least in my head, it's shorthand for, hey, we're building more relationships with more customers. We're building, you know, so that's always good.
0: Yeah. And the bottom line is, is you know, the country is shifting. There's there's more diverse people, more buying power with the diverse power structure. And so, you know, um, to me, I would be like, if your values don't align with mine, maybe this is the last time we work together because, <laughs> you know, we realize, you know, and, I, and it, it's always, it it sucks, but I think, you know, this is the time where, where those kind of conversations can happen, you know, because yeah. you know, they're coming to you for a very specific aesthetic and the way you approach things and you know, the fact that they may know that they need more diversity and they're gonna get it from a company like yours, you know, versus maybe challenging you to of pal- like, Hey, we know you do all this other stuff, but can you just like, you know, you know, widen <laughs> up a little bit? And you're like, No, <laughs> then don't come to <laughs> us. It's true. Um, I have a question from, um, I think it's on our LinkedIn live stream. Um, Mm -hmm. It's from Benji and it's a little bit off topic, but I think, you know, because of of your, you know, obviously a design agency, you know, so Benji asks, do you both have suggestions for reading on advanced level identity design systems? And I, I, it's a very open question, but I'm kind of trying to figure out how we can talk about just, you know, um, I don't know what the advanced level part of it is, but, you know, h- about like, I guess, you know, identity design systems and may have its limitations because they're coming from a large brand. How much are you able to, to, I guess, work within it, you know, adjust it, offer suggestions. Um, let's have a conversation. Ooh, that's a good one.
1: I mean, I think David Aker's work, and I'm not so sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correct, is always a classic to go. A classic go to, I think, uh, as a designer when you want to just like up uh, the work, not just by the aesthetic but by the strategy. Then his works have always been like Twenty Principles of and um, any of his um, identity books, because I think at the end of the day again as i've said it's the universality of things you want to appeal to someone's thinking someone's heart someone's feeling someone's you know desire to be loved like all of these things are the essence and i think that the more advanced you are and i think the more i think for me a more advanced system of identity is actually a more clever universal uh, it ha- it's a paradox like you want to be advanced and like sort of super focused, but what it really means is attuning to a very universal uh, uh, need, human need. And I think um, those are some of the ideas that David Aker, I think really expands in his work. And I, yeah.
2: Need. Yeah, I, I don't really have any at the moment. I'm trying to think <laughs> at, at the moment of like, what is, what would be advanced level and then in terms of identity design, but, but I'm just really echoing katu she she does a lot more uh, more research than I do in the past couple of years. Uh, I think I think when when I come to the design aspect, I start to kind of diverge and go into other aspects. And whether it's um, reading books on history, I think is helping me a lot more, or understanding um, other other mediums. I think to apply.
1: You, you know, Nico. In the beginning, um, we read a lot on Japanese um, Japanese. And Japanese systems of how um, they brand families uh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right yeah, so I think that was like a very interesting way of how we approached our work in the beginning
2: mm-hmm. yeah it's it's also I don't think there's just one thing I think it's it's you, you have to look at the different systems and then seeing how they work with their, within their countries and, and their cultures and then see you know taking in what seems to to work that could be as to was saying kind of universal to some to yeah. some point but it's I don't know of anything that's specific at the moment that's very, you know, that's saying this thing is Mm -hmm. the the new and advanced way of doing it. I think it's really taking what's already been made and and done and in those cultures and seeing how is that applicable to ours and and what we do here Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and then taking all the the good points and all the different sections and some places don't even really have, and that's why I was saying that, you know, reading stuff on just culture in different countries helps a lot because they may not have a system, uh, especially if you go to, you know, third world countries, you go back and like think about culturally, like how they created their, their art. What did that mean in terms of their hierarchy systems and things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the Philippines, when we're going back, thinking about where did graphic design start in the Philippines? That was a good, like, we have a couple of friends from a company called Team Manila, and they've been doing a lot of research yeah. and understanding about graphic design back in the past. And then how, mm-hmm. how is that related to like the systems of the family you know why these certain colors and then and then understanding oh it was a system but of course back then it wasn't considered as a system
1: yeah and
2: then seeing how we can apply that
0: now in mod- right. modernizing it so i think that's actually really wow that's now when you you mention it right and looking at the systems different cultures and, even, and you mentioned the word hierarchy right which is obviously a huge design term but it could shift in the way it approaches in different cultures. What does hierarchy mean there? And so it's like, how do we approach the universality of a word that is in design, but now change it because we're in a different culture, right? right? Is, is in one culture, color more hierarchical Mm -hmm. versus typography versus size versus shape. Right. And so you, so you're almost saying, look, the idea of hierarchy is a thing, but when we're talking about different cultures, it needs to shift because how they see or they perceive things first, second, third is different than what we in the Western culture. And I think that's really, I kind of, you know, with that, that idea of that struggle of how do you start to break down other cultures designing hadn't been codified as like graphic design, Mm, right? Because it's different, you know, canons, but to say that, yes, we all still use very similar terms, but they're different. And how do we start to break those things down? I would love to hear more about, like, I think you said Team Manila.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Right. But like even the history of how other cultures view hierarchy. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, we can start to break that down to almost see the universality of like, this is hierarchy and this is what typography hierarchy means. This is what visual hierarchy means. But then shift that to, you know, Southeast Asian culture hierarchy. Like, is it about symbolism? Is it about this? Is it about color? Like, what are those conversations having so then we're actually speaking the same universal language but then obviously like the same way you know our voices change when we're talking and and our accents change but we're all still speaking that would be a nice approach to understanding design across multiple you know cultures
2: and and also religion plays a big part in all this and um, we even
1: haven't touched on decolonization. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's, that's
0: well. That, <laughs> yeah, how how long does everybody have, right? <laughs> I, and then I need to bring whole, a bunch yeah. of friends on who, yeah. who who can really just break this stuff down, yeah. or, you know. But yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Whole, yeah. That's like part three and four of our our conversation, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um. So there's so many different things, right? And I think culture to me plays a huge role in in and like we said the 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 nuance of culture, right? Not yes. one specific thing, um. What are you starting to see in the younger generation, the shift of language, in the shift of understanding? You know, the appreciation, you know, of what you know different groups are going through, or, or you know, like we said, 2020 has kind of been that big, like seismic. Everything, you know, is starting to to change, and, that, and good and bad, you know, um, are we starting to see a shift in in the younger generation? You know, Aniko, you're an educator. Yeah. You know, Katsu, you you know. But like, what are we starting to notice? Well, for me personally, um, I've noticed
2: a lot of different things. And again, as for myself, you know, I'm also adjusting with like new terms, terminologies, etc. But it was also nice to see. Um, I remember two years ago, I was teaching um, high school kids who are going into college, kind of like a like a pre college, you know, immersion kind of thing, and. And, you know, we had one kid that maybe was very clear had a little bit of, you know, um, either I'm not exactly sure whether it was ADD or or but there was there was a little bit of um, uh, attention deficit a little bit. Right. But but the class like helped him out. The class was very supportive, wasn't trying to like take that person like they, they for some reason, they just had an understanding of what this this kid may be going through but they had so much empathy where I didn't even have to tell them, guys, let's not, you know, like, I remember before I would have guys to stop, don't pick on him make sure, you know, you're careful what you say, but they were very empathetic and it was so great to see. And then just a year ago, um, my students who were, you know, we were talking about um, like the Me Too movement in, in one of our classes and they were just, and then at one point, I think LGBT, Q conversation came in, but they were very conscious about pronouns and and how people, you know, how to call someone and, or some of them were very upfront and saying, you know, in the beginning, I like to be called or I like to be known as. So I was like, whoa, this is, it's amazing. I I didn't have the experience before, but then seeing that I didn't have to like tell them or make them understand, hey guys, you know, we have to be very conscious of, of what we say, et cetera. They were just, it was just in their brain. Yeah. So it was kind of nice to see that shift, um, and and I'm I'm seeing it happening in classes. Just the way that people interact with each other, the the vocabulary that they're using, and also and also new new slang, which I have no clue what they are talking about. But like, but it's it's good it's good to kind of understand and see that oh wow this is, it's not the whole. I don't, maybe it's just again just my group, you know that mm-hmm. I've been lucky that I've been seeing there's no. The whole bully mentality before of like just picking on someone because it's they did something different. They're more open and, and empathetic, and like and be more amazed about what they've done versus being more like, oh, ha, that's yeah. funny, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really great to see, actually. Yeah. You, you noticing anything?
1: I think one of the things that I'm really impressed is their capability to absorb what is low rent and what is not. And I see this in the way that they communicate through memes because I, I love memes. Nico doesn't care about memes. I, I love memes. <laughs> I could just read memes all day and it's very, like it's, 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 it has its, Merits to me, but um, younger generation—they know when it's low rent, and they love it when it's low rent, and they can really explore themselves. And they have so many nuances. They have this ability to manipulate the meme language in a way that is so specific to their experience, and yet so universal at the same time. And then when you see their works, especially the new artists, there's so much specificity in the way they execute things because they—they were born into the time where Google was available, and they have the world's reference in their heads so they've they've definitely amped up their skills but they also have this appreciation for low rent stuff that is just impressive their intelligence level is just they're smarter than me like I've known that forever since but it's (laughs) impressive and but they also have as Nico said more empathy more heart so I'm really more hopeful and I I've I have more respect for younger people as I've always had a big respect for them but now it's like they're they're showing us the way to do things so Mm. really impressed
0: Mm. so now as you know so that's a big big compliment to to the younger generation (laughs) um from resonate and so i have one last question for both of you um and it's going to get just you know to 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 understand i guess you know how we continue to learn um what aspect of the creative process are you both still struggling with
1: oh okay I'll, i'll answer this It's very easy for me because I struggle with it every day Um, (laughs) is that there's no same problem. I think um, as a business owner, as as a more senior person in our company, sometimes young people look at me and they're like, do you have the answer? Do you know the next step? And the thing is like every project is different. It's different characters involved sorry different clients involved different problems so you never actually have as a creative to just like accept the fact you'll never have the same problem so you, you can never rely on the same set of solutions you have your canons you have your rules whatever you, the way you work but it's always a different challenge um so for me it's the agility is uh, you know that's always something that's challenging about the process but it's also something i love
2: I think for the, for the process, what I'm seeing in terms of what I'm seeing a struggle within our company is people's references. Hmm. I think it is a big struggle that we have as, as a group, uh, especially when you have new designers coming in. Um, there's a lack of reference in terms of either, you know, cultural references, whether it's movies, music, film, because it, it goes to a certain date. Or a lot of people are, as what Katu says, you know, some people are so used to stuff on online or like memes that they just get the snippets. But rather mm-hmm. than watching the whole movie, like they're content with those memes. And I guess this is why I'm so like, I'm not anti meme, but I'm just like, guys, there's just so much more. That meme doesn't tell you the whole thing about that movie and what it means. You know, what's inside it? Like, what is it asking? So, and and that's a struggle I have. I think with my team sometimes is that, is is that idea of reference. And because it's part of that process when we talk about, hey, let's do this. Let's research these things, find designs that kind of fit this concept. In terms of years, it kind of stops into like maybe 90s maybe 80s, because, you know, it's kind of popping up again. But then when you get further back, you know, it's 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 not in the language yet. Like you need to get them to check it out. You have to really make them go look at certain things, certain references, whether it's books, movies, uh, music. Um, so that's, that's a struggle I'm seeing, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of existing now, because everything is just quick snippets and no one's, right. no one's taking the, like <laughs> our nephews are the same thing. I'm like, did you read the book? No. I'm like, well, how do you know you like it? Because someone said it's good. And they said all this stuff right. It's like,
1: oh, they're, like they're
2: losing the idea of <laughs> experiencing culture. the thing. And then and right. hopefully that can come into the work itself. So I, I just, fi- I find that interesting. So that's kind of like the struggles I'm, I'm seeing.
0: yeah and i'm gonna i want to i wanna i want to echo that because i think what you're talking about nico is that you know i think the meme culture is great for everybody who understands the joke right because it's the reference points are there but when you only reference that then you're referencing like you just mentioned that somebody else likes this so this is why i'm using it because everybody understands it right and you don't have this personal connection right you know of it and you're not able to understand the nuance, right? So you're talking about it as a cultural phenomenon, but not as a fan. And a fan right. understands the nuance, right? I'm saying only three people really like this movie understand versus the joke that everybody's going to get because you don't even need to watch the movie to get right. it, right? Yeah. And yeah. so I think those are the things to dig deeper to kind of create this you know, very more specific need, right, for just the people that you actually are aiming for. Yeah. Versus the everybody because it's just very surface level, right? So I I agree with that. But memes are so damn funny. Well, I mean, they are. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I think okay. they're they're hilarious, you know, <laughs> especially when it's spot on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And look, you know, thank you for being so honest and open with all of your your our conversation and and kind of what you're struggling with because I see that as a as one being appreciative of of how things are shifting, but also what we're struggling with. And I think part of what I try to do with this, with this podcast conversation is to allow everybody to realize that we are all kind of struggling or dealing with the same, you know, things, but we're all dealing with it in different ways. And if I can learn from somebody how they've approached or done things differently, you know, maybe they can start applying to my own work. So um, as we, as we begin to end, you know, I think, you know, thank you. Thank you again for, watching this live version of the Works and Process podcast. Um, Follow us on any podcasting platform. You can also go to wip.show for more info about previous guests and also learn about um, this and the previous Sophia Yeshi conversation we had with AIGA Design Conference. Um, I really hope that everybody can can join us May 12th through the 14th at the AIGA Design and Business Conference to see firsthand how design is impacting business in measurable ways. We're going to hear from both client side and design side to understand what drove successful collaboration, communication, and, of course, listen to their process, right? We're definitely more concerned with the how and why behind the what. And if you. Them, please use conference code AIGA Friends20 to get $20 off the conference. Once again, that's AIGA friends20 to get um $20 off the conference. Thanks so much to katu and Nico, and I look forward to hearing about your collaboration at the conference. Until then, this has been works in process. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you so
1: much.